I'm starting a brief new series called Like a Good Neighbor. And uh, I want to start by pointing out that for, for a pastor, this, this season coming up is, uh, there, there's always a season, and I always want to name that season. The season coming up for, for, for pastors is wedding season. And, and, and whenever, I, uh, whenever I think of wedding season, I often think back to this, this book that's become so, it, it really has become so very popular, internationally known, called The Five Love Languages. Now, I was thinking about The Five Love Languages this week. Uh, you're, 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 uh, just to remind you, it's uh, uh, words of encouragement, touch, gifts, uh, quality time, and acts of service. Those are the five love languages. It's good to know yours. It's good to know the people around you. It's better to know the peoples around you and be in charge of that. But I was thinking about the five love languages. I was thinking about the fact that every one of the five is really an act of service. It's not just... Now, now the acts of service is one of the five, but I think there, are, there is an element of acting in service in each of the five. Whether you're speaking words of encouragement or giving a gift or you're spending quality time with somebody or just physical touch, even just a, a touch on the shoulder, on the back, an encouraging um, hand or acts of service proper. They're all outward initiative. And that's really the fruit, the fruit of something else that's going on inside. Right? That's the outward sign of something inward, of inward care and concern. Now, the, the text I'm about to read, the Good Samaritan, ties together inside and outside. It also ties together Old Testament and New Testament. And it's important. We need to understand what is the role of our outward faith. What's the role of it? It has a role. I was thinking of, um, of this, and I, I noticed a couple of weeks ago, I was worried about one of the trees in my yard, and it's the tree that gives us a little privacy on our back porch, and, which is very important because we have, a, um, we have a, a, a couple of doors that open up, and um, you can, when those doors are open, you can see right into my walk-in closet, which is just kind of an awkward thing to even mention, um, but you can kind of get the image that... That tree and its leaves are pretty important to me. So I'm sitting here, I'm looking at this thing going, oh no, this tree is dead, right? Well, it started to bud. The tree is alive, right? Now, it's not the, the, it's not the leaves on the trees that make the tree alive. It's the leaves and the fruit that show life in the tree, Right? Well, this, this, this lawyer, this expert in the law who asks Jesus, what is saving faith? Jesus is, is essentially saying, well, what, what, what's the fruit? Do you see fruit? It's not the fruit that saves. It's the fruit that shows that, that faith is alive. You see, here's what I'm getting at. A lot of times we think that the Old Testament is about works, righteousness, how we, we do good things and there's a balance of the scales and if we do enough good deeds, it tips the scales in our favor and we get into heaven, right? That's what we often think the Old Testament is about, right? Isn't that right? what we think? It's not true. There's nowhere in the Bible where it's ever 
uh, where, where salvation is ever apart from grace. Now, there is this, this intrusion of Israel and, and its history and the ceremonial law and all of this, but, but that's just to show how impossible it is to get to God without grace. In the Old Testament, one of the, one of the great sayings of the Old Testament that, that God says over and again, he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Mercy, not sacrifice. And so you see, this, this season, this wedding season, this season of, uh, 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 of being reminded of acts of service. Acts of service are an act of mercy. When I, when I feel uh, compassion for someone, where I feel uh, a sense of concern, and when, when, I'm, when I'm outward in that, I express mercifully, unconditionally, my care and compassion for the people around me, despite themselves, and, and they for me, right? That's, that's mercy. And, and why do I do that? Why? It's either in me or it's not in me. You see, the, the Spirit of God is either in you and at work bearing fruit, or it's not. You can't make it happen. But, but what we're going to see in this parable is that those expressions themselves continue to develop the tree, you see? Just as that tree in my backyard, as it, as it begins to, to, to blossom in its leaves, the, that very blossoming nourishes the tree. It's not the, the, the leaves that, that make the tree alive. It's the tree being alive that make the leaves. But the leaves also nourish the tree. Are you with me now? See? And so that's, that's what, now let me connect it to, that's what acts of service do. Acts of service are the, the blossoms on your faith. And in its blossoming, in, in acting in faith outwardly, it also nourishes your faith. Do you see how it works? Now, what I just said is a lot. I mean, that's like, that's like a seminary course, for heaven's sakes. And, and people have been debating this and the relationship between works and grace and mercy and sacrifice for, for eons. But this is what I wanted to explain on the front end before we even look at this, at this parable. The relationship between your faith and the outward working of the faith. It's not just an either or. It begins with mercy, but mercy bears fruit and the bearing of fruit develops and nourishes your faith. And so that's why Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. From Luke chapter 10, hear this parable. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So in other words, what is saving faith? Right? What's the requirement? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He, well, the, the lawyer gives him a good answer. There are 613 different laws, right? But he sums it up in the right way. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to, what? To justify himself, oops, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? 
And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place he, and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when you come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, the lawyer that is, he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Let's pray together. Holy God, would you bless us now to receive this word, not just to understand it in our minds, not just to believe it in our hearts, but to apply it through our hands. For we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. You know, when you have uh, some friends over and you're teaching them a new game, and you're going on and on, and you're trying to explain how the game is, and it, you, you've had so much fun with this game. It's your favorite game, and you've been playing it for years, and you're trying to explain it, though, and you know how it works, and it's just so obvious to you, but the puzzle look on their face and you keep explaining it and you keep telling them and it gets tedious you know that feeling when you, and it's finally somebody just says well why don't we start just start playing it and then we'll we'll understand how it works right you, you've had that experience right that's a little bit what's going on here with jesus in this parable he's saying you know there, there's a certain application that's required to, to get it to understand the game to understand how to apply faith outwardly so that you can really receive it inwardly. How do we do that? How do we, how do we outwardly apply faith in such a way that it nourishes faith inwardly? Well, we, we have to make connections. And I, I've picked out three, not just because this is a sermon and I'm a Presbyterian minister, but because... We have limited time, and these are the three that really stood out to me. Uh, first is, we need to connect to relationship. When it comes to acts of service, we need to connect to relationship through those acts of service. Now you say, well, that's obvious, because how can you act on somebody without relationship? Well, you can outsource. <laughs> you can outsource your acts of service, right? Right? Think about that for a minute. We don't necessarily have to get involved with the people that we're serving. We can outsource it. We can have partnerships. Now, I think partnerships are a great thing. I'm always uh, celebrating our partners, but not to the exclusion of our direct involvement. We have to get involved in relationship, life on life, directly, through our acts of service. It reminds me of this situation where there were these boys riding in this car, and maybe I was one of them, maybe I wasn't, but uh, so they were riding this car, 
And these boys were talking about this girl at the dance who was just sitting over in the corner and nobody asked her and they were making fun of her. And a voice came from the driver's seat of one of the fathers who said, why didn't one of you ask her to dance? That really got one of the boys' attention. And and he, he went on to say, he said, if, if there's ever, ever again a dance where there's somebody left out, one of you boys needs to make sure that everybody gets to dance. That, that, that's a great picture of what's, what's happening here in this text. See, a lot of times we think of relationships in terms of utility, what they, they can do for us. Asking that girl who's sitting alone in the corner to dance, that doesn't do anything for, for, for the person who goes to... It, it, it doesn't necessarily build that person's social capital, right? But, but it does do something, doesn't it? You can't get involved in relationships without it doing something to you. And so when the lawyer asks, how do I inherit eternal life? Who's my neighbor? And Jesus turns it around and he says, who acted like a neighbor? And he chooses, who does he choose? He chooses a Samaritan. We know from the woman at the well, you know, she says, you know, what are you doing talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. Jews don't talk to Samaritans. They hated Samaritans. And now here's this lawyer who's asking, what's the minimal requirement to get into heaven? And Jesus is saying, let me tell you a story about a Samaritan. And now he puts it on the Samaritan. He's saying, here's a Samaritan. And now he has to picture this Samaritan, this loathsome person, this, this mixture of Jew and Gentile. That's why they didn't like him. It wasn't just that they were the Gentiles. It was that they were, they were someone who betrayed their own race. They were a mixture, according to them. And so now here's this lawyer. He's having to picture the redemption of the Samaritan through his acts of service. He's having to watch this. He's having to transform in his mind this this picture, this loathsome picture of this person that he didn't like, that he didn't even want to interact with, and he's the hero of the story. This is genius. I mean, this isn't just coming from Luke. I mean, Luke was a bright guy. He was a doctor. But my goodness, this is brilliant. You see this? This is brilliant. Here he's trying to trap Jesus. He's trying to say, you know, what's the extent of the law? He's trying to get them to weigh in regarding the minimum requirement of something. And, and Jesus is, is taking this incredible picture, and he's saying, look, Watch the transformation of this person who needs mercy every bit as you do, and you need mercy every bit as much as the Samaritan does. And watch what happens when the Samaritan operates through acts of service, engaged life on life, with a person who cannot build his social capital, with a person who didn't even like him, the person who, who, who is, is, is his sworn enemy. Do you see how amazingly brilliant that picture is? And turns it around and escapes the trap that this lawyer has laid for him between works and mercy. It's brilliant. But see, what, what happens there too is, he says, you know, he doesn't reduce it to just sort of the checking the box. Okay, yes, I'm going to do this too. I'm going to do these acts of service for this person. I believe this. I worship here. I, I do these things. I tithe and I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing these good deeds. He's saying, watch what happens to the person doing the good deeds when they're involved in relationship. Let me read to you from a book I've been reading these past couple of weeks, Jordan Peterson. 
brilliant intellectual from Canada, psychologist, he says this. If you will not reveal yourself to others, you cannot reveal yourself to yourself. That does not only mean that you suppress who you are, although it means that. It means that also that so much of what you could be will never be forced by necessity to come forward. Now, do you see how the leaves, right, the outward acts of service, the leaves, the outward acts of service, are all my illustrations connecting? Are you connecting with this? Are you getting this? Like, I've worked hard on this. I thought, how do I get this in such a short period of time? Are you getting it? I hope you're getting it. So the leaves represent acts of service. The leaves and the acts of service are the same thing, and they nourish the tree. They nourish the tree. But look at how Jordan Peterson peels back the layers of human life. Now listen, he says this. He says, much of what you could be will never be forced by necessity to come forward. This is a biological truth as well as a conceptual truth. When you explore boldly, when you voluntarily confront the unknown, you gather information and build your renewed self out of that information. What he's saying is this. When we're engaging in relationship, risky relationships, difficult relationships, uncomfortable relationships, out of your comfort zone relationships, begin to do something in you. You think, well, I I just have to get it right on Sundays and then I've got to go do it out there. Well, going and doing it out there is doing something in you too. It's amazing, the brilliance of Jesus turning on a dime, turning on somebody who's asking him the minimum requirement, and he says, let's look at how you can maximize faith, not just check the minimum boxes. Brilliant. Brilliant. Getting involved in relationships through acts of service is a plan for discipleship. You see, we think in all these disconnected categories. We want discipleship to happen over there in that room that we call Sunday school or whatever it is. And we want it to happen maybe in a small group. Well, we'll get more relationally uh, involved. And so now, now we're a little bit more uh, up to date. Now we'll call it a small group. No, no. It, it, actually, if you want to get up to date, you got to go all the way back to Jesus who said, your discipleship path goes right through downtown Thomasville and the places in town that you don't want to be involved in. That's your neighbor because that's where we're called to be good neighbors among the last and the least and the lost, right? You know the place in the Bible where it says, as you done it, have, have done it unto the least of these, you have done it unto me. And in so doing, Joy is complete, as Paul says in another place. And our faith grows. But only, you can't intellectualize it. You can't just outsource it. You can't just write the check to it. You have to do it relationally. You have to plug in. So that's the first connection we have to make. We have to connect our acts of service to the people in need relationally. Second of all, we have to connect to the mess. Yeah, yeah, we have to connect to the messiness of life, to the messes that come, to the people, the messy people, and the messes that we've made because it's a broken world. We have to be problem solvers in our world, but especially in town, in this town. that, that We're right in the center of it. What, how, 
is Thomasville different because we're right here smack dab in the middle of it. We're called to the mess. We're called to be plugged into that mess. Now, the other day, Beth and, and Benjamin and I were driving. We came up to a light, and we saw the guy with the sign, right, the cardboard sign. And every time, you know, you, you feel the same way. I, I feel the same way you feel. You know, what do I do? What, what's the say? I mean, I've, I've thought about this. I've written papers about this. I've, I've dug into this. I've cons- I mean, I've done all kinds of things about this situation, and yet still every time it comes to me, I still feel like, what do I do? Right? Don't you feel that way? Of course you do. Come on. With me. Be with me, people. Yes, yes, we feel that way too. All right, thank you. Not up here all by myself. We feel that way. We see the sign waves. What do we do? Is this somebody who's had a, a tough time? Or is this somebody avoiding responsibility? Which is it? We bounce between those two poles. Is this somebody who's just had a tough time? 14-year vet. Or is this somebody who's avoiding responsibility? Criminal. You know, here's what I found. Almost always, it's not either one of those things. It's more complicated than that. It's way more complicated than that. And you know, the only way to know for sure is to get messy with that person is to get involved with that person, is to get involved in the mess. I have to get to know this person. I can't do the right thing. Am I enabling someone who's avoiding responsibility, or am I, is this an act of mercy? I don't know. So I don't deal with it there. I deal with it in places where I can plug in to relationship, as we said in the first point, but the second point, where I also am willing to get messy. I've never heard anybody say this, and I'm not, I'm not 100% about this, but I do think that Jesus is saying that he is like the Samaritan. See, Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully human. And in Philippians chapter 2, it says that he put on sinful flesh. And the way, the picture that, that the Jews had of the Samaritans was this, this sort of mixture, this strange mixture. And, and, and Jesus, like the Samaritan, he, he brings oil and wine to wounds, does he not? And Jesus, like the Samaritan, comes, comes down from his high perch and he puts us up on the wounded heart, up the wounded soul, up on his own place of glory. And, and, and Jesus, like the Samaritan, gives all that he can and nurtures and brings healing. You see, in, in Acts chapter 6, you see what happens when, when people, when Christians are, through acts of service, indiscriminately, Jews, Gentiles alike, everyone, you, you see the explosion of Christianity throughout the Roman Empire. In fact, uh, one of the, the, the Roman emperors, Julian, who was b- before Christianity was even approved uh, as, as, as legitimate faith in the Roman Empire, Julian was lamenting the fact that, that Christians were taking care of, of people who were not their own, their own people, so to speak. 
And he was saying, and there's a letter he's, he's written that where this emperor is saying, this is one of the reasons why people find Christianity so compelling is that they are just indiscriminate in their mercy and their compassion. You see, that's, that's a picture of what Jesus is doing. It's a picture of what the Samaritan's doing. Getting into the mess is what Jesus did. Getting down into the mess is what Jesus did. And that's part of our call too. And finally this. We have to connect not only, not only to a relationship, not only to the mess, but we have to connect to the long view, the long road, the long vision of what's different. That means we have to be inconvenienced like the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan was inconvenienced. I mean, he... He spent the, the night in an inn where he didn't plan to stay. He paid two denarii. That's a, one denarii is a, like a, a day's wage on this guy's behalf. He went away. He, he told the innkeeper he was going to be back. He went the extra mile and the extra mile and the extra mile again. He was inconvenienced. It was a long view. He took the long road. He didn't just say, well, that's good enough. I'm going to, you know, that's just a pittance. I mean, I'm good, good heavens. I mean, what do you want from me? That's two days wages. All right, good luck, Right? No, he had the long view. He wanted to come back and see whether or not he was recovering. He wanted to see the fruit. He had a target in mind. He drew that target in advance, and he said, I'm going to come back and see how we're doing towards that target. A lot of times what we do in the church is we say, all right, it's a new year. Last year, we, uh, we had all these targets, and we hit them. We know we hit them because we drew them after we shot the arrows. That's often how we operate in the church. I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking about what, what would Thomasville, what should Thomasville be like in 10 years because we drew the target first? What, what should it look like if we invest as good neighbors over the long haul, not just spraying the town with good deeds, as great as some of those are, but they are diffuse, and they don't necessarily build towards a goal. What would Thomasville be like if we drew the target first and said, in 10 years, we want to see this happen. We want to see this neighborhood different. And we're going to hang in there throughout those 5, 10 years to see it happen. And this is what we're going to have to do in year one. And this is what we're going to have to do by year three. And by year five, we should see this happen. What if the church began to lead? Now, I, I think of my three in college. And I think of many of you young people that are going to go off to college in the next few years. And I think of you parents and grandparents that are thinking about what are they facing out there when they go and they sit in the, in, at the feet of the ivory tower types and they are exposed to a world of problems and a scale of problems that is just so huge. And are they going to see the relevance of their faith in those situations? Well, they will. They will. If we invest for the long haul, wouldn't it be amazing if our students when confronted by the difficulties of this, this, the large-scale difficulties of the world and the deep divisions that are even developing the fault lines around race and class and social status and all of that, 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 that that's been bubbling under the surface and now rearing its ugly head, what if they were to say, hey, let me tell you what my town, because of my church, did about that? 
all the apologetics in the world, all of the, the catechism in the world, as, as good as all those things are, all of the, the morning devotional books and family Bible study, all of that stuff is good. But wouldn't it be powerful if our students went to college and said, let me tell you how different my town is because of my church. Here's how we're, we're solving those same problems in my town. The vision that they would have for the dignity of human life, including their own. The vision that they would have to be able to build and stand on our shoulders and do something marvelous, brilliant. You see how it comes together? You see how Jesus is bringing together race and class, works and grace, how he's bringing together creation again. He's not saying to the lawyer, let me tell you the minimum requirement for getting you into heaven. He's saying, let me get some of that heaven into you so that you can bear fruit and in so doing, nourish the tree. Who's your neighbor? Is a question that belies a deeper question. What kind of neighbor am I? Let's pray. Holy God, how we thank you for the brilliance of your word and the amazing way that you demonstrated its truth through your own life. We thank you for the inspiration and pray that, Lord, you would bear fruit in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.